Romans chapter 14. All right, well, this is, I think, part three of The Weaker and Stronger Brother. We had started this, and it, I didn't really anticipate going this deep into it, but it's deep. <laughs> the more you read about the weaker, the stronger brother, um, it, in chapter 14, and actually it's so important as far as the church membership and the fellowship with, you know, that we have with one another, that it doesn't stop at chapter 14, verse 23. Actually, the lesson kind of stops in chapter 15, verse 7. Now, last week, we just got to verse 12. This week, we're going to look at verse 13 and hopefully get all the way to verse 23. Uh, Brother David, there's a handout back there on that table if you want to grab that. And if, if anybody else didn't get a handout, uh, I, hopefully at the end of the lesson today, we'll read this because it will conclude all of the chapter 14. So the idea here in chapter 14 is, are there some that are in the church that have more liberty? Yes, there is. Are there some in the church that have more restrictions? And restrictions means more of abstinence. Uh, and, you know, he has brought up the subject of meats and wine. There are those who are in, weaker in the faith that feel like they need to abstain from meats and wines. And there are those who are stronger in the faith or have liberty of conscience that they can partake of the meats and wines without having a seared conscience towards God. Now, here's the thing. Paul is not getting on the weaker of the brother. Paul's actually commending both. The, the weaker brother, the only reason they abstain from meats and drinks is because they believe that it will be more pleasing to God. That's it. Their motive is pure. What is their motive? To please God. They're wanting to worship the Lord in the way that they believe would be pleasing to the Lord. And so they have this view that they must abstain from certain things in order to do that. Where we've, we've already discussed this is not sin. It's not an item of sin, nor is it an item to add to salvation. Paul would not humor this behavior if they were doing these things to add to justification, add to salvation. Because in Galatians, Paul just turns and he gets on them hard because that's what they were trying to do, was add the works of the law plus grace. Here, not so much. This is more for your personal holiness, that, that you, uh, your faith towards the Lord and how you worship God. So Paul is saying, you know, receive these weaker brethren, not to doubtful disputations, not to just uh, debate them with your opinions. And so this, the meats and the drinks come up. And so he, right here in verse 6, is, the, is a huge verse. It says, he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. There's, there's, the, the, there's the underlining thing between the weaker and the stronger, between those who abstain from certain things 
versus those who feel the liberty and they're fully persuaded that they can partake of certain things. Both of these groups do it to the praise of God, not for self-consumption. Both of these groups have faith. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not legalists. They're not lost people trying to add to things. They're not antinomian. They're not those who abuse grace and abuse liberty. Um, So both of these groups are saved. They're convicted of what they do. So, uh, you know, there's many other examples that, that we can bring up that how this applies today, not just to the Jews and the Gentiles back then. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But so what he does, he establishes there in verses 1 through 9. And then in verse 7, he brings up, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Because he actually, in verse 4, he brings up this, this thought. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. The idea there is if God has received my brother, so should I. If there is no sin, there's no open rebellion, there's, and they're doing it with the right intent of worship, and their faith and full trust is in Jesus Christ, then who am I to judge my Lord's servant? Uh, to the Lord, he either standeth or falleth. So the idea of judging comes in. He says, weaker, don't judge the stronger. Stronger, don't despise the weaker. And then he brings in, who is the ultimate judge? In verse 7, he brings in the lordship of Christ. In verse 7, he says, for none of us live it to himself, none of us, no man die to himself. For whether we live, or we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Christ is qualified to be the judge, not me. He is the Lord over all. And so verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not? What that means is despise thy brother. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we're going to start... Uh, actually, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, and then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. God has given Christ all authority. He has given Christ all things. We're going to see that in the 11 o'clock message too. He's the heir of all things, right? So he has given, God, he has given Jesus to judge. Jesus is going to be the judge of the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. Jesus is going to sit on both as judge. Now, this judgment seat of Christ in verse 10, we don't, I, I want to have a whole lot more time to go into this, but this is the Bema. Have you all ever heard the Bema? The judgment seat of Christ is called the Bema. Now, the Bema in the Greek, it is Paul uses it in Acts. Do you remember how we saw the magistrates and those who were in Rome that they sat at judgment? Uh, Paul would go before the courts or whoever would go before the courts and there would be the judgment seat or the bema. Now Christ has his own bema. And, and throughout here, Paul's referencing, we believe the, the colorful picture that Paul is representing as the bema of Christ, even before the magistrates and those things, 
It also meant, uh, you know, that Greek had its Olympics, right? Greek had all these competitions. Paul brings up racing quite a bit. Paul brings up competing, contending. He, he, he brings up these things. And the judge who is the judge of the race is at the bema. They're at the judgment seat of Christ. And what does that judge do? At the end of the race, he gives out rewards. So a lot of Christians get, you know, the saved people get swept up in this. Oh, I'm going to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we, there is no, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus now. We're not going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to cast us into hell. If you're saved today, you're, going, you're saved forever because you're justified in his blood. The judgment seat of Christ, think of it as the, the judge of the competition. It's, Paul sees it as a spiritual competition. I have run my race. I have kept the faith. I've, I, and we see Paul express this to Timothy in the language of competing and running. Uh, you have to strive. If you strive, you have to do it lawfully. You have to do it according to the rules. And so we've run our race, and at the end of our race is the bema of Christ, and he is the judge who will give the rewards. And that goes into more, um, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but you know at the judgment seat of Christ that it ta Paul talks about that many times in Corinthians, that at this judgment seat, uh, those who have built on the foundation, no, you cannot build another foundation besides the foundation which Jesus has built, but we can build on top of that foundation, and you can build gold, silver, wood, stubble. And what will withstand the fire? What will be left uh, would be what you have done for Christ. And that is what's going to be at the judgment seat, is what have you done in your life that has gone towards the kingdom of God, uh, not the things that are temporary that will be burned up with fire. Verse 11, for as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. If you're writing things down, I reference 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, 11 through chapter 4, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Verse 13. So this is where we really want to start <laughs> this morning. Verse 13. Let us not therefore, there's a therefore, know this or do this, right? That whenever you see therefore, know this or do this, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So that's a, it's a play on words there. There's two different words for judge, but both of them mean the same thing in jest. So, Instead of judging one another, judge yourself. If you are causing your brother or sister to stumble, or you are putting something in the way of their faith that would cause them to stumble. That's really getting your eyes off yourself, isn't it? You really got to start thinking about others and their healthy relationship with the Lord. That's all of us. That's not just the pastor. You know, that's, I, I do, I, I, I 
pray about your healthy relationship before the Lord. But all of us should be that way. So instead of judging them, and we can probably think of situations in our mind, it may be general or specific, where instead of judging them, you do not cause a, a means for them to stumble or fall. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. So in verse 13, he is establishing and has established God's sole sovereignty to judge. If God is only able, his sovereignty, he has the right to judge, then that function does not belong to me. What function does belong to me? The function that belongs to me is your spiritual health, each other's. Now, we're not going around trying to, to fix everybody either, but am I doing something that would cause someone else to break? That's, that's, who I, that's what I need to look at because my job on earth is not to fix you. My job on earth is not to cause you to stumble by what I do. And imagine if we all did that. <laughs> because ultimately, God's on his throne. God's the final judge. And God will make all things manifest. He'll bring all things out to light. And he will judge righteously. So, like I said, he's digging deep. And that's why we're in part three of this uh, chapter 14. Because in chapter 14, it says that this weaker in the brother, he may be convinced whatever this is, is unclean, and therefore does not please God. Verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him that, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So now, you know what's, what's wonderful is when, when you're on board with the thought, when you're on board with the train of thought, when the next verses that come start to help support that thought. Because where's Paul going immediately in verse 15? What's our motive? Love. Verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, do you care? <laughs> oh, they just, uh, you know what, they need to grow up. I've got liberty they need to get more mature, and they're not going to stop me from doing what I want to do. Now, is that love? That's, he really brings it down here. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Remember who each other are. They're beloved of Christ, your Lord. All of us are God's children. All of us are God's heritage. All of us have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Remember that about each other. And then let's be careful to love one another. Because here's the thing, is if you do not love your brother, if you do not love the Lord or love your brother, you do not have the love of God in you. And you need to be saved. There it is, right there. So this should be a conviction to us in verse 15. You know, you're right. My, my, well, what was Jesus, what, what, what are we supposed to do? 
What are we ultimately supposed to do? What was the first and greatest commandment Jesus gave us? Did he say, eat and drink all that you have liberty to do? That's your first and greatest commandment. Don't let anybody else tell you you can't do it. Don't let the legalist crowd or this crowd or that crowd uh, make you feel bad about what you No. What's the first and greatest commandment? What's our duty? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. There's the whole law. The, the, the first four commandments is love thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. The last six commandments is love thy neighbor. That's what we're supposed to do, and that's what he's bringing up. If your brother is grieved by your liberty, are you really expressing love? So, he says, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Now, that word destroyed. That word destroyed is apollome. And... I was studying this word, and I, I was thinking, surely that doesn't mean destroy, destroy, like perish, condemn, but it does. This word destroy is translated perish, lose, lost, utterly destroy, but we need to get the sense of if they are saved, you, them having a bad conscience isn't going to condemn them. Remember, there is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I can't condemn anybody. You can't condemn yourself. For it is God, or it is Christ that died and buried, rose again. It is God who justifies. What this means is it is a matter of inner destruction. The parish that it's talking about here is one that is inwardly. You will destroy the brother. You will cause your brother to condemn themselves. Because here's the thing is now they are doing something. Or now they're beholding something. And you're giving them a conscious of guilt. Either that guilt is they're troubled because they're troubled. Have you ever been troubled because you're troubled? Have you ever asked yourself, am I a legalist? Because I have a problem? With that, you're troubled because you're troubled. And then the second thing that might happen is you may embolden them to follow in the same behavior that you are, but yet they're not going to be able to do it with a clear conscience towards God. They're not going to be able to do it with faith towards God. So you could destroy them in that way to where the child of God looks at their own behaviors. And I know you all have done this too, and... I look at my own behaviors and I get grieved. Don't you all? I become grieved. Now, if I'm watching the behavior of others, it grieves me. <laughs> because, Lord, I, I, I can't live up to that, that standard. You know, and that's the thing is we've got to be careful um, not to look at men for the praise of men or to praise men. Because we look to Jesus. If you start looking around, you know, because like I said, no one is ever as, no one ever has it as good as it seems or as bad as it seems. 
we invent this narrative for everybody. They've got it so good, they've got it so bad. No one ever has it as good as you think or as bad as you think. No one is ever as godly as you think or ungodly, or maybe ungodly, but the thing is, is we have to be careful. We're all sinners saved by grace, and so when you start looking at the acti activities of others, you could bring yourself down into a grieving conscious. Now, what happens when you're in a grieving state of mind? Well, it's hard to be thankful. It's hard to praise God. It's hard to, uh, in full faith, have the joy of the Lord. And we're going to talk about this more. Hopefully we get there. But love should be the motive in verse uh, 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. That word good uh, is the liberty. Let not your liberty be evil spoken of. And this one is also uh, kind of deep. Uh, help them. Now think about this. Help them not to speak evil of you. <laughs> You're going to prevent them sinning by what? By not destroying them by your meat, by your liberty. Because who, who, what's it about? It's not about what I have, what my entitlements are. Uh, we're getting ready to find out. And in case we don't, just go to chapter 15, verse 6. Here's the conclusion. That, uh, chapter 15, actually verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That is the, the, the last line there, and he's building up to that. Like I said, this thought doesn't end in chapter 14. It keeps going in the chapter 15. Knowing the ultimate purpose that we are to be, whether you're stronger or weaker, that in chapter, five, or chapter 15, verse 5, 6, and 7, now let's go back up to verse 16, when it says, let not your good be evil spoken of. That you have liberty and you have joy in your liberty, and you can do all things with praise and thanks to Christ. You can't do sin. I just always want to keep bringing that up. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If all you all are about is what I can get away with, you've lost perspective. That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is edification. It's love. It's being the light. That Christ is the light. And so when you cause division just by being selfish or self-consumption on what you can do, uh, imagine that. Don't do what you know you can do just so they don't speak evil of you. Now here's the thing. is That's a very fine line to, to tread because you don't want to jump into legalism. You don't want to humor legalism. You don't want to humor those who are just completely missing the point. The people that he's talking about are those who Paul is commending for their faith. They feel like they have to abstain from things. 
God bless them. And they're doing it with all their heart to the Lord. And that is commendable. All of that is commendable. Um, so, he is in verse 16, verse 17, this kingdom is not our entitlement. It is that everybody has that same heart, the weak or the strong. We are all accomplishing the same thing. Like he said, we all have the same mind. We're all looking to our loving Lord, our merciful and gracious Lord, who has had mercy on us all, on all of us. I'm not better because I abstain, or I'm not better because I have liberty. God's had mercy on all of us. So let's return that in one voice, one accord, one love, and how do we do that? we got to stop disputing. Because the kingdom's not about the things which you abstain from or have. It's about him. It's about the praise of God. Verse 18, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Be pleasing to God. Um, you say, well, why should I stop doing what I know I can do? What pleases the Lord? Will God be more pleased that you held your ground on your liberty or that you enabled a brother or sister Christian in edification? Think about that. So many just want to stand on their hill and say, I'm not giving up my liberty, I'm not giving up my rights, and I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And what's God going to be more pleased with, that? Or that you helped a brother or sister praise the Lord and be thankful? What's pleasing to God? Verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the, kingdom, the work of God. That's a different word, destroy. That word destroy means to dissolve or to render useless. For meat does not dissolve or render, render useless the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Now, again, he, he's talking to the strong here. Verse 22, here, here's a message to you who have the liberty. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Do you have faith? Do you have liberty? You're happy. Have it to yourself. Have it in private. If you are out and you are rubbing liberty in people's faces and causing them to be self-condemned or uh, evil, speaking evil of you, either do it in the privacy of your home or do it with like brothers and sisters who have the same liberty as you do. Don't bring it to destroy people. Don't bring it to flaunt it because it's not going towards edification. That's the goal. The goal is not for me to see how strong you are. The goal is for me to, with all pureness of conscience, to praise the Lord for all of us with one heart, lift up our voices to him. <laughs> That's the point. Oh, if we could just hold on to that point more. Because what does charity do? Charity does not, is, does not puff itself up. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. And charity is not provoked easily. Think about that. Charity is not provoked easily. Charity endures. There's long-suffering. There's patience with love. Verse 22. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Hi, babies. All right, verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, that word, let me skip a couple of pages of here ahead. Where is that word? It's in verse 23. That word is katakrino. And that also, that damned, is a condemnation. It's a self-condemnation. There's a searing of the conscious. Eating or drinking apart from faith or unto God is to be avoided. Because we do not live to ourselves or die to ourselves because we are the Lord's. In verse 23, and that's the, the whole thrust, is that we must do things to do things unto the Lord. All right, so we're going to end there, but I want us to take this chart. Now, I would have loved to gone into chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, but I'll hold off for that till next week. Um, Brother Jeremy, Emily's got your chart right behind you. <laughs> oh, you've already got one. All right, so having gone over what we just went over, hopefully this chart will make a little bit more sense to you. So let's start over here on the left-hand side. So this is the stronger brother, the one that has the more liberty. This is, if you look down, this is heresy. Okay, look down the left-hand side. This is the heresy. He's strong of conscience, but carelessly crosses the line into lawlessness and immorality. They eat meat, and here's their perspective. I have freedom not only to eat meat, but to go at parties at idol temples. That's heresy. Uh, that's antinomianism. That's abusing grace, liberty. You distort the gospel by lawless subtraction. Now, as we go, now th those three middle columns are, the, or, yeah, columns are the ones that are idea. So here's the next step. Now here's arrogance. They have a strong conscience, but looking down on those with a weaker conscience. They eat the meat, and they have this philosophy. I have freedom to eat meat, and those who don't are being unreasonable and are in theological error. That's arrogant, and it diminishes the gospel. You've missed the point. Because, remember, the kingdom of God is not meats or drinks, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy from the Holy Ghost. All right, so here's the, the right way. So they're fully persuaded, but they're welcoming. Rather than looking down on those with a weaker conscience, they eat their meat. I have freedom to eat meat for the glory of God, but I still welcome Christians who disagree. That is love. That's motivated by love, and it reveals the gospel. Now, the ultimate stronger brother is there in the middle. They 
have the conscience of their free to be flexible in disputable matters in order to, one, edify fellow believers, and two, advance the gospel. Isn't that something? That is not a it's about me attitude, is it? Now, do they eat the meat? They may or may not, depending on the situation. They have liberty to. And what does it say? I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And that is the example of Paul that we saw in Acts, wasn't it? When he was with the Jews, he conformed down to the Jews. He condescended the men of low estate. He conformed down to the Jews to be a Jew so he may save some. When he was in the Gentiles, he conformed to the Gentiles, not sinning, that he may sin, that he may. So it's not, Paul understood the situation. How can it advance the kingdom of the Lord? That was, it wasn't about me, it was about the kingdom. That's out of love, and it magnifies the gospel. All right, so start on the very end, on the right-hand side, and we'll see the, those who are weak of the conscious that are in error. They have a weak conscious, and they're crossing the line into legalism. Legalism is when you add any work, religious, sacrificial, anything, to the finished work of Christ on Calvary. They don't eat meat. And here's their attitude. You must follow the Old Testament dietary restrictions if you want to be a Christian. We saw that was the attitude of the Pharisees. That's heresy. It distorts the gospel by legalistic addiction. Now we come to a weaker conscience. So the weak conscience, but judging those with a stronger conscience, they don't eat the meat. It's sinful to eat meat. And Christians who do so are being unfaithful to God. They have gone into the category of judgmentalism. And it, that also diminishes the gospel. Now here's the idea place for the, those with a weak conscience. They're fully persuaded of what they do. Remember, that's the key. Be fully persuaded in your mind. Fully persuaded, yet welcoming rather than judging those with a stronger conscience... They still do not eat meat. They're not flexible on this, like the, those with liberty. They will not eat meat. I abstain from eating meat for the glory of God, but I still welcome Christians who disagree. This is from a motive of love, and this reveals the gospel. You notice those three middle columns, love, love, love. Love, love, love. And that is the lesson in actually Romans chapter 14. And uh, like I said, there is a line between those who are practicing legalism where you believe that you have to have those things, you have to observe those things in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, in order to be redeemed. And there's a big difference between that versus those who may have grown up into a system where they equate things that are consecrating to God and you did not grow up in that same culture. You did not grow up with that same way. So you're going to have a mixture of what people, you are in every church, we're not all thinking the same things. We're not all having the same conscience. We're not all, you know. So, but the thing is, is if we all get on board with love and the motive that we all raise each other up, not bring each other down, we all raise each other up for the purpose of raising Christ 
and his glory, then we are on the same page. And let all those other things become trivial. Keep the main thing the main thing. Let's have a word of, God, word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we pray your glory in the message today, in the worship service, and this whole day, Father. May uh, we just be careful to bring you praise, bring you glory, exalt Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.